Hello. Welcome to the Spirit of Praise podcast. I'm Alfred Jackson, the senior pastor and presiding bishop of Tabernacle of Praise Churches International. I come to you with 45 years of experience in teaching and preaching the Holy Scriptures. Now, each week on this podcast, you will hear informative and challenging messages that will help you develop a more meaningful relationship with the Lord and help you live out your faith more effectively. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let's see what it is the Lord has to say to us. Jesus speaking again. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Amen. I want to use for a, a thought this morning. I want to talk about the church and the ministry of Christ. Doing it like he did it. Thank you. The church and the ministry of Christ. Doing it like he did it. Amen. It's nice and hot up here. But praise the name of Jesus for the heat. Amen. We can bear with it. I will bear with it. Yes, yeah, sit in the shade if you can. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, before I go into the message talking about the heat, and I think I've shared this before, it's amazing how on the news they tell us that we need to put on sunscreen and do all of this to protect us from the sun. But as I've gotten older, I thank God for my doctor, he prescribed me and I take it on a regular basis, 50,000 milligrams of vitamin D once per week because we don't get the sun that we need to get the vitamin D in our bodies. So we run from the sun. We run from it because we don't want to be hot, but we need the sun. God has put the sun in place to give us some of the things that we need in our bodies to be healthy. So I've learned to thank God for the sun as I take my 50,000, that's a lot of milligrams of vitamin D. That's a whole lot. You can't buy it over the counter. And sometimes I wonder how many doctors prescribe to our people what we need to keep us healthy. All right. So we want to talk about the church and the ministry of Christ. All right. Doing it like he did it. So pay attention. Bear with me. Let me take my time and go through this message and deliver it to you as the Lord has given it to me. And I, I may not necessarily uh, go into a full explanation of every scripture, but to the point of the message prayerfully, uh, you will hear and understand. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand here and to proclaim your word. 
I pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit that I might minister under your anointing, that I might speak clearly and communicate to your people that are here uh, in, uh, on this parking lot and those that are watching by Facebook live and live streaming uh, your word. So speak, Lord, for your servants here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So in the midst of the things that are going on in our society and nation today, uh, I sense the Holy Spirit leading me uh, to give prayerfully an appropriate word uh, to the church. And remember, we are the church, but we're not all of the church. So prayerfully, as, those, uh, as other people listen, and as people have been listening to many things that have been posted on Facebook and many things that have been shared uh, via uh, Twitter and other things that, that where people are really getting an understanding now of what many of our people have been saying down through the years that really tie into Scripture, that really tie into Scripture, hopefully people are hearing. We want to give a word, amen, that is appropriate for these times uh, and a word that should help the church refocus, that should help the church refocus and push us to do the right things in this season. Remember, justice is making things right, making wrongs right. And the only people that can make wrongs right are those people that have done the wrongs. And many times, as difficult as that is to hear, those are some things that need to be said, and those are things that need to be heard. So as I speak, many times what's in my spirit is, Lord, help me to speak, not necessarily from a position of anger, but I want people to sense and hear the passion from which I speak. Because I realize that, that I can be angry, but I must not sin. And I have to be angry at what I've seen, what I've seen and from my perspective. And I want, I want those of you who, who are here today and those who are listen to, listening to hear this, because I will talk about the church. And there's a reason that I will talk about the church. I am a pastor. I am called of God. I am a theologian. I've been trained, amen, to lead God's people. I've been called and trained. I've studied theology, amen. And so, so my heart is for what God's heart is, which is for his church. And God has placed his church in the world to make a significant difference in this world. I am not discounting what other people are saying. I am not even discounting maybe what some, what, some of the things that, that the Muslim faith has said down through the years, or the Muslim religion, Muslim religion has said down through the years. I'm not discounting that. I am not discounting people who may not necessarily take a Christian perspective, but who see the injustices and, and who speak out against the injustices that are going on in society. I'm just sharing with you from a biblical perspective because God has given the church a responsibility in this world. We are the light of the lights of the world. Amen. We are the light of the world. We are as a city that is set upon a hill which cannot or should not be hidden. Amen. And so therefore we have a responsibility to be the voice of God in this world that we live in. And as I said on last Sunday, and I'll keep repeating myself as I go along the way, because it's important to repeat certain things. As I said on last Sunday, we have to be careful that we don't continue to do God a disservice in the body of Christ. Amen. By preferring one group over another. 
We must be careful that we don't continue to do God a disservice by overlooking a part of the body that is really, really hurting, that has been oppressed ever since we have been brought to America, not because we wanted to come, amen, but because it was fruitful, it was beneficial, it was it became uh, something that made America very prosperous economically. Amen. So we have to be very careful about that. We have to be very careful that we don't continue to do God a disservice. And, and from, what I've, from what I've studied from, from my prayer time, and I'm, I'm very careful about listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to the scriptures, because I realize that, that if I'm not careful, I can get off base. And you know I don't want to be off base. Amen. I don't want to be off base. But the church has done God a disservice, and we have to, we have to hear that. We have to hear that. Um, before I go further, unless I forget, uh, Brother Jonathan posted a wonderful video, and you haven't listened to that video about body language. You need to listen to that video. Uh, that Dr. Anita Phillips and I think her name is Christine Kane, an interview with Christine Kane uh, did uh, a few weeks, maybe a week or so ago. Listen to that video because it talks about some things that not only our white brothers and sisters need to hear and understand, but what, for what some of us need to hear and understand. Because some of us do not understand why we are where we are. And some of us do not understand that we can be in the larger society, but when things happen, people look at us suspiciously. And they don't really accept us because they don't understand some things about our cultural heritage. That's very real for us. That's very real for us. Okay. Uh, so that's why I continue to, to talk about the church. Um, you know, uh, even though I don't support looting, that's criminal activity. Right. I, I don't like burning down buildings. Right. The riots are necessary. People may not say they're necessary, but when you have been oppressed for so many years and you consistently be, continue to be oppressed. And see, what we have to be careful about uh, is, is that we have to be very careful about saying, I don't experience that. We have to be very careful. In, my, in the community where I live in, I can walk wherever I want to walk. Right. I can walk at night. Right. I can walk around my circle, and especially now, and I don't mean this facetiously, but everybody's nice. Everybody's smiling, you know? Right. You know, I have to be very careful that I don't say I don't experience that. Because whereas I may not, oh, let me tell you, I experienced something coming to church this morning. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to say this. So I passed this guy. And yes, yes, the yellow line was there. And, and, and according to the law, I should not have passed. But they need, to, they need to change it. But there was nothing coming, all right, which doesn't justify my actions. But this guy decides he's going to pull over in my lane to keep me from passing him, this older white gentleman. So what gave him the right to pull over in my lane to try to, to cause, could, could have caused an accident that would have killed me and my wife or hurt me and my wife right. on my way to church? 
And you know what rose up in me? And which is something that I have said down through the years that I would never do. But I'm going to advise us to do this. I'm going to hear this from a, a loving pastor's heart. I'm going to get my gun permit, and I'm going to be trained to use my weapon rightly. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I am not pushing violence. Amen. And I will not do an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I'll protect my family. Amen. Amen. I'll pray while I protect my family. Amen. All right. Yeah. So, I'm not discounting anyone's efforts. I am not discounting anyone's efforts. There, there, there's no justification for some things that are being done. Amen. And people have to understand that, you know, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this, the FBI is really going over these tapes, you know, and they're looking for people that are looting and, and, and committing crimes. They are really looking, they're going to go over these tapes, and people will be arrested and brought to justice for that criminal activity. And so people have to understand this, all right? And I can't say that that is wrong. That's, that's right, because we should live in a law-abiding society. Now, even though some people don't abide by the law, amen, we don't do an eye for an eye, two for the two, for two. So I'm not discounting all of these efforts, okay? I want us to see the body of Christ come to a better understanding of who we are supposed to be so that we can open ourselves up to the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit and allow him to change us to be like him, okay? And as he changes us to be like him, we can then properly do the work that he has called us to do. You have heard me teach over and over and over again that being must come before doing. We must be, amen? Actually, we can't do properly uh, until we be the person that we're supposed to be in Christ. And the church has missed this in a lot of instances, especially when it comes to instances of injustice in American society, and consequently has become very unjust in her dealings with a very specific part of the body. Yes, thank God there are more Caucasian pastors that are now saying that they understand, that they hear, that they are hurt. Amen? But we can't let this stop by being hurt over seeing a man murdered by a white police officer. This stuff has been going on for centuries in America. And the, and the, and the black church has been crying out, for, for, quote unquote, for, for lack of a better term. A lot of us don't like to hear black church, white church. But, but the reality is, this is the society that we're living in until cha things change, and until we have a better terminology, that's the reality of it. We have been crying out. We have been hurting. Our, our people have buried many of their dead. We have lost much property in America. Amen. While people of privilege have gained power, have gained uh, 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 
economic success while our people have suffered. Many times I think about my own family. My, my great-great-great-grandfather was a slave master. Amen. He fathered my great-great-grandfather. I, I think I got all of those greats right. So consequently, when he died, well, before he died, he put in his will, which was a good thing. He gave his black son in Blair, South Carolina, 1,100 acres of land. All right? You give a person who's been, who has been brought up in slavery property, but you've never taught them how to manage the property. So in my family today, if we have 100 acres out of the 1,100 acres, we're good. But there is a white family in Blair that got all of that land, sometimes through hook and crook, as we would say. Because my grandmother would talk to me about it, and she would talk to me about how she would have lost the land that her husband left to her children if it were not for another person, another white man. And thank God we can't say everybody white is bad and everybody black is good. We cannot say that. And we're not saying that. We're talking about the injustices that has been leveled against our people who, who told her what to do to hold on to the 42 acres of land that she had. I can, I can tell you probably in our family if there is 100 acres left. Well, there's probably more than 100 acres thinking about it. If there's 200 acres left out of that 1,100 acres of land, are you listening to me? When you read stuff like entire communities that have been burned down and destroyed, when you read about Rosewood in Florida, when you read about the, 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 um, the, the protests and the, the, the race, they call them race riots. And, and as the author said, race riot um, suggests that, that, that you have equal parties fighting against one another, but it wasn't like that. When you wipe out an entire community, when you burn down over 1,200 houses, when you possess their land, when you take control and you push them out and you take it, that's economic injustice. So we have to help educate people. We have to educate ourselves and we have to help educate people. So many, so many, so many other instances that during this conversation, we need to talk about in our community. So I can't say that this thing doesn't affect me right now. I can't say that. If it affects you, it affects me. And that's biblical. That's biblical. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. In American society... This issue of injustice is, is serious. Is serious. Um, and the church has been, as I've said over and over again, complicit in this matter. And many people are recognizing this now. At least they're saying that they're recognizing this now. Okay? So how do, you, how do you mistreat a group of people? It's very easy to do when you dehumanize them. And that's what I thank God for about that psychologist, psychologist right? Yes. Dr. Phillips. I thank God for that perspective. When you dehumanize people, when you say that a black person is three-fifths of a person, how do you become three-fifths of a person? When that's written in your constitution, when it's written in your documents and it's taught to your children who pass, all of us know, we, we know about generational curses. We've talked about that in the body of Christ. We, we, we see patterns of behavior that goes to generations in families. So it's easy to mistreat people 
when you don't consider them as human beings. I, I remember, and you know, I wasn't thinking about this because I grew up in a black community. Literally, where I grew up at, there were a few white people who didn't have children that lived right in the center of Blair. So when we grew up, we were just all black folk. But when, when, when integration in the 60s started, I, they, didn't shut, they didn't close our school, but they opened it up. They made one school district in Fairfield County. And we were all welcome to go to any school that we wanted to go to, all right? That was because the white people in Blair and Shelton and Dawkins and in that side of the county did not want to go to Macquarie Listen. So a friend of mine and I decided we were going to go to Winsbar High School. At the last minute, she backed out, and I, I didn't know I could back out. So I ended up in ninth and fifth grade at Winsbar High School. So one day, and I, I, I always remember this guy. He played football, you know, and I'm, I didn't play football, you know, and I didn't know much about, about, about fighting and what have you. Uh, so one day we're in the hallway in class, and he calls me a monkey, an ape. He calls me an ape, a black ape. And, and I said to him, because he was, you know, you could tell he was, had a whole lot of hair, and if he wore like a tank top, you could see his hair. And I said, well, you're the ape because you got all that hair on you. That guy wanted to fight. He wanted to fight me because I call him an ape. What about him calling me an ape? I'll never forget that. Never forget it. Of course, I wasn't going to fight him. You know, I grew up in, in a Christian home, and my daddy didn't allow us to fight each other, much less go out in the community and fight anybody. And I'd never been expelled from school, and I wasn't about to get expelled from school because I feared what would happen to me when I came home. Yeah. But, but you, think about, you think about these things, you know. So today I may say that all of my white neighbors except me, well, there's only one person in my neighborhood whose house I've been inside of. One. It's a big difference when you accept me, but you don't invite me to your home. Anyway. Yeah. It's easy to... to, to, to to treat people the way our people have been treated when you dehumanize them. You call them monkeys and apes. And there's some studies that, that she mentioned in that video that you need to listen to. And I'm going to go look up those studies. Not so much so I can have ammunition to fight anybody with, but so I can be educated and so I can help people understand the depth of what our people have gone through and still go through in America. But Christ, Christ, God, has created all of us in his image and his likeness. He did not separate us by the color of our skin. God does not see black, white, red, yellow. God sees his creation. My personal perspective is, and I could be wrong, is that climate adaptations created skin color. Because the more you stay in the sun, your body has to adapt to the sun. So if my people stayed in Africa, especially in the hotter climates of Africa, their skin tones tended to be darker as opposed to people who lived in colder climates of the world. Now, I could be wrong about that. I don't know if any study has ever been done about that. But I know that God doesn't see color. He sees individuals. Yeah. 
So as I'm reflecting and, and, and praying about this, the Lord led me into two passages of Scripture. Now, remember, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the church. Church as a whole, we have to find ourselves in this place. But it's good for us to see, it's good to, for us to see where the church has failed in this process. The ones that the Lord has called to be the light of the world. The ones that Jesus has sent out and said, as my father sent me, even so I send you to fulfill the ministry that God gave me to do when he sent me into this world. Amen. So, noticeably, the first passage is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And noticeably, the last words of this text are at the end of Jesus' ministry before his ascension into heaven. For Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. He says it two times. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. All right. The beginning of his ministry, the end of his ministry. Now, we can't be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ unless we are fulfilling the ministry that he has sent us to do, okay? And for us to, to fulfill the ministry, we have to rightly understand the ministry. We cannot look over these words of Jesus that he says the spirit of the Lord has anointed him to do, all right? And we preach and teach that the same anointing that was on Jesus is the anointing that is on his church, the believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body. We are the body of Christ and members in particular. So this anointing and the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus to fulfill this ministry. There are five purposes of Jesus's ministry. Out of everything that he does as he walks the face of the earth is to fulfill these five purposes of ministry. Preach the good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the prison for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Right? Five purposes of his ministry. Now notice what the scripture says as it as it goes a little bit further, it says all eyes, this is significant, all eyes remained fixed on Jesus, on his every word and his every move. He gives a very short exposition of that text. He says today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All eyes were fixed on him. Why is this important? Well, to understand Jesus, to understand his ministry, and what we're supposed to do as his disciples, we need our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
We need to see Jesus. Listen, do you remember? As we talked about being Christians and being disciples, I said to you, we need to do a study of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because most people overlook Jesus. We overlook his character. We overlook his teachings. We overlook his example. We overlook his culture. We overlook where he came from. We acknowledge some things, but in the course of doing ministry, in the course of living, we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus like we ought to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we need to see Jesus in his fullness. We need to see him in his cultural upbringing. We need to see his character. We need, to, we need to see his grasp of scripture and commitment to the Father in order for us to properly grasp who we have been, uh, who we have been sent into this world to be, first of all, and what we've been sent into this world to do. Amen. If African people are to change and to be like Christ, Anglo-Saxon people have to change and be like Christ. If we need to reject our cultural heritage that has formed the way we think and the way we act and the way we worship, then Anglo-Saxons need to change and forsake their cultural heritage that has shaped the way they think, the way they act, even the way they worship. Now, many of you, I don't know why you all not saying amen, but that's okay. <laughs> many of you have never had some of the experiences that I've had on the mission field. So, you know, we experience people that go on the mission field and, and get there and refuse to, refuse to go to worship because the people are singing in their dialect and feel like you need to sing in English. How do you come into a different culture and because of your privilege and your perceived authority change a people's culture overnight? And why do they need to change their culture? How long, amen, for you. How long is it going to take for them to learn English? How long is it going to take for them to reinterpret their songs in English? And many times in an experience that they have never had. To be like you because you say they need to change. Because you don't understand their culture. You don't understand their language. One of the things that I, that I realized when I started going to Liberia, because, you know, what we've done in our churches is that we have, and, and this may not be intentional, and it's good because we live in a different time, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. So we've changed our way of worship. We've moved to the praise and worship, and I, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the songs that, that relate to God. And you know, when you, start, when you start teaching, what I realize is that we have to be very careful about the theological perspective that we teach from. Because we are trained in America even though sometimes in, in, in African-American seminaries, 
The theology that we're trained from is an Anglo-Saxon perspective of theology. So when I started going to Liberia and I would listen to the dialect songs without music and it would remind me of our people here in America who didn't have, many of our churches didn't have trained musicians, you know, so they sang from their experience. And I would sit and listen and I would listen to the intonations and I would listen to, to the harmonious sounds and I would say, this reminds me so much of my people back in America. Now we've moved away from that and we want to do, and, and, and I'm not speaking against that, you know, a lot of the songs we sing, somebody, somebody, somebody said to me the other day about a particular group of people that were caught on, camp, on camera uh, with that mic song that a lot of our churches have started using their songs in worship, making some very racist statements. Um, mm. But we are expected to change, and if we're not careful, we will do away with dancing. We will do away with our emotions. We will get to the point that we sit in service very quiet, and we listen very intently, and we don't, we will never allow our emotions and our faith to interact in the worship experience when that is not our experience. It's not our experience. It's not. Just think back, my brothers and sisters, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm about to go off script, off script, but when you think back, when you think back, you know, walk with me, Lord. Walk with me. Amen. While I'm on this tedious journey. They changed the word to pilgrim journey. But while I'm on this tedious journey, I want Jesus to walk with me. Yeah, think back to the songs that our forefathers sang out of their experience with the Lord. That, that people who never had our experience could understand because they didn't go through. They were not oppressed. They were not downtrodden. They didn't have to get up in the morning and, and, and feed their family and go to the field and work all day long in the hot sun. And the only one they had to trust in was the Lord. So they would say, God, I'm going to bear my burden in the heat of the day. Lord, I'll trust you. I will trust in the Lord. I can't trust the system. I can't trust my white slave master or, or, or the one who owns the farm where I'm sharecropping on. And I work hard. And then at the end of the season, I still owe him more. I never break even. God, I will trust in you trust in you. So then our children don't understand the struggle. Our children don't understand because we stopped talking about it. We, we mixed in with society, with the larger society, and they told us, why don't y'all forget about that? That happened in slavery. Let, let it, let, I didn't do it. No, but you benefited from it, and you're still benefiting from it. And we have not gotten over the trauma 
Our people have been traumatized. Traumatized. Black men have been traumatized in America. How does it feel to be more qualified for a job and be looked over because of the color of your skin? How does it feel? How does it feel for you to worry about your child, your black son in particular, when he goes out into society? And you worry if he's going to get back home safely. My son was coming home on Thursday. He said he was leaving on Thursday. We were in prayer. We were concerned that he had to drive from St. Louis and come through all of these states. God, bring him home safely. You don't know what that's like when you have not experienced the oppression that our people have experienced. And yet you say you're the church. We need, to understand, we need to go back to Jesus and get a good look at Jesus. I don't know where I am with time. Praise the name of Jesus. We have interpreted Jesus from our Western perspective. And we forget that Scripture was not written from a Western perspective. Af the, the African continent and the African culture is much closer to the Eastern perspective than the Western perspective and culture will ever be. So I, I started doing, I, I, I have this African commentary. So what I've started doing is now, as I look at commentaries instead of scripture, I get my African commentary and I go back to that commentary and I begin to look at the interpretation of scripture from that because it's much closer to Jesus' culture. It's much closer to his perspective than Western perspective will ever be. Ever be. I can tell you a whole lot of other things, but I need to finish this message. I need to finish this message. I will say this. So I went to Liberia, and of course we're preaching, and this young man came to me, and somehow or another discussion may have come up and I've shared this many times, about the deacon being a husband of one wife. You know, and, and we've taken this, and, and this is how African Americans have ad adopted the, the main Western perspective of that scripture. And, and so somehow another discussion came up about having two or three wives. This young man comes to me after the service that, that, that night or either the next morning, and he says, uh, he said, Pastor, um, what do I do? My mother is my father's second wife. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about marriage and divorce. Traditional African culture, as is some other cultures around the world, a man can have more than one wife. It's legal. My mother is my father's second wife. What's going to happen to my mother if my father puts her away, if he divorces her, when in culture it's legal for him to have more than one wife. You see, Westerners don't even interpret that scripture from that perspective. We wrongly interpret it to say that if a man is married, we might bring in two wives, but we don't know two wives because that's not our culture. If a man is married and divorced, then he has two wives. 
I've argued this point down through the ages with some people who grew up thinking that from a Western perspective, if you're married, you're divorced, you have to, we forget all about that there are reasons in scripture that justify divorce. We don't even deal with that. We don't even deal, we don't even deal with a changed person who comes to Jesus. You know, his old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We funnel it through tunnel vision from a Western theological perspective. Yeah. yeah. So the church now has to refocus. I mean, this thing has been going on, not, has been going on way back in England. Theology distance started being written when folk came to America. Actually, they came looking for religious freedom. They came here and enslaved a whole lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So look, look, look back. When we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus embodied his words. Therefore, everything he was anointed to do proceeded from his very being. Because of that, he fulfilled what he was sent to do, and he was able to say on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. There was never a disconnect between Jesus' being and his doing. With our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, we will always be challenged in our being and our doing to keep them properly in order. Look at the five purposes of Jesus' ministry. Okay? The oppressed, the downtrodden, the marginalized in society. He came to recover what evil forces in society has stolen from them and us and to restore them and us to our proper value and our proper place in God and in society. So you hear his words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. We'll preach the good news. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But we also hear freedom. We hear recovery. We hear release. And we hear proclaim. Proclaim what? Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What is the acceptable year of the Lord? What is Jesus alluding to? He's alluding to the year of Jubilee. Because even though in Judaism, yes, they had slaves. Yes, they had indentured servants. But there came a point of the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, they had to release everything, give people their property back. African Americans in the United States have never had a year of Jubilee. If we had, a year, had had a year of Jubilee, my family would have that 1,100 acres of land. Your family would have things. If we'd even had a year of Jubilee, if we'd had a year of restitution, maybe we would have gotten 40 acres and a mule. And even though we didn't want to farm, we could have sold the 40 acres and a mule and invested in another business. Are you hearing? Yeah. Yeah. The church has to get back to the ministry of Christ. 
dealing with human suffering, injustices, oppression, manipulation, inequity, and all of these things that the oppressors and the unjust judges and systems have established in society. Jesus, I know this sounds, you say this, is sound, this sounds real political, maybe, I don't know. I'm not telling you who to go and vote for, but you, by, by now common sense should tell you who to vote for. <laughs> but, 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 you know, this sounds real activistic. But Jesus was a liberator. We have to see this. He came to liberate people. And if it meant stepping on some toes, he stepped on those toes. He dealt with those who treated the poor, who treated the, 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 the oppressed, who treated the marginalized with injustice. He dealt with them. The church, the church, the church. And I know you say, we're not doing this, Pastor, but you have to understand what must be done. You have to understand what has been done, and you have to understand what must be done. You look at the church today, and you see a lot of, uh, of diversity in the, in the body of Christ in a lot of churches. You do. But just because you have a lot of black members in your church doesn't mean that you've changed your inner thoughts and your inner perspectives and your, 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 your consideration that, 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 that in the back of your mind, black people, especially black men, are always big and bad. And because of your perceived privilege in society, you can use your whiteness as a weapon against a black man. Amen. This is in the church, saints. We need to understand this. I'm not saying hate anybody. We got to love everybody. But we got to understand what we're dealing with. You can sit in church beside a person, even in the black church. And that's why we encourage us to get to know each other and the fellowship, you know. Even in the black church, you can sit beside a person and never know them. Never see them. Never. Never. You don't see that hurt. You don't see that pain. You don't see that struggle. That's why so many people said, I didn't know. I didn't understand. Because you live in your white, you live in your, in your community, uh, in your closed off communities with your closed off perspective. And you only deal with us in passing when you say, hello, brother, I love you. My love means that I show action. Yeah. All right. So three things. Where am I with time? Oh, you're past like 45 minutes, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's talk about this. You know, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus so that the ministry of the church now refocuses and, and, and follows the ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, how do we get back to where we need to get to? All right. And literally, and I reference this, and I, and I thank God for that video. Uh, literally, uh, Dr. Phillips brought up some wonderful things. Because you do think about, you know, when you talk about white privilege, I'm not asking a white person for their property. I don't want what says. How do you deal with the whole concept of privilege? That's a big question. That's a big issue, you know. How do we help our brothers and our sisters deal with where they are? So all of us should have privilege. If there's privilege, then all of us have it. Let's, let's, let's do this the b biblical way. 
All right, stop showing preference to the rich. Stop showing preference to the ones who've dominated society for the, from the beginning of this nation. Let all of us, show preference to all of us. Especially, James says, show preference to the poorer person. Show preference to the weak, Paul says in the, in, in, in the book of Corinthians. You see, the thing about it is, this, these things are scriptural, but it's, oh, it's easy to overlook certain scriptures. Don't go to Africa and apologize to Africans because of the way your people have treated Africans when you're in the United States and you live in the United States. Why buy a plane ticket and fly all the way to Liberia when you can get on your, go to your next door neighbor, somebody in your community, and you see me two or three times a year and you never say to me you're sorry? How hypocritical is that? Pastor, when did that happen? I was there when it happened. It was in Liberia when our dear white sister from Oregon stood up in the meeting and apologized to Liberians who had never been to the United States of America in Liberia. When my son went to Liberia, he said, God, he said, Dad, this is so refreshing. To, to see all of these black people, to see black people in power, to see black people in the fight, see black people owning businesses. He said, Dad, this is so refreshing. So you go and apologize to the people who were not brought here. You go and apologize to the people who have not experienced the injustice that our people have experienced. And you live in America. You're telling people to adopt Liberian children and you bring them here. Oh, God, help us today. And I won't call names, but you bring them here and you treat them as if they're animals and you adopted them and nobody made you adopt them. You wanted to show that you, you were doing something good to help these poor little pets because you thought of us as animals anyway. Well, how do we? Whoo! Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Some things you have to back off of and back up and take a breath. Amen. Take a breath. I don't want to be out of character. Yeah, y'all be ready to leave me because Pastor up that cussing in the pulpit. <laughs> Pastor, I said in the vernacular, Pastor done cussed in that pulpit today. <laughs> He already said he's going to buy a gun. Now he's going to cussing. We got to find another church. <laughs> oh, I never heard my pastor cuss before. <laughs> God help us. God help us. Let me see if I can wrap this up. So as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we discover who he really is. And we, do we discover how he fulfilled ministry and how we should fulfill ministry? So point number one, when you get your eyes fixed on Jesus, and, and these are things that we know, all right? Things I've said, I'm repeating, all right? What do we see? We see that Jesus was sent by God, all right? So that means Jesus came from a different place. 
Jesus came out, if we would say it like this, a different culture. He came from a heavenly culture. His perspective was different from the perspectives of the Jewish people and leaders. He came from above. So his perspective was from above. All right. Two things. You hear Jesus say, you have heard it said unto you, but I say. Okay. Go back and find the scripture. You read all of that he said. So you have, you have been raised up in a culture. You have been taught these things, but this is what I am saying to you. Different perspective, different culture. So Isaiah knew it, and Isaiah says, for God says his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither his ways our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways and our ways and his thoughts and our thoughts. Yeah. Jesus could say to Nicodemus, I'll make this part short because I think you got the message. Jesus could say to Nicodemus, you must be born again, born from above, or you will never see the kingdom of God. You will never perceive God's kingdom. You can go to church, but unless you're born from above, you will never perceive the kingdom of God. So then, when you grow up in a church culture that tells you that if you're born in a Christian family, you're automatically a Christian. All you need to do is when you're a baby, you receive uh, baptism and you get older, you receive confirmation. You are a Christian just because you go to church. Jesus didn't say you are a Christian just because you go to church. Jesus said to Nicodemus and he says to us, you must be born from above. Your earthly perspective needs to change. Your cultural perspective needs to change. And I'll say again, if you want African culture to change, then Anglo-Saxon, just in case you don't know Anglo-Saxon, all right. We're talking about white people. White people were not born in Africa. Grew up in England and that part of the world, in Germany, and those parts of the world, all of that European perspective, all that European birth and culture that has con- consequently shaped theology, shaped American politics, shaped the laws of our country, shaped the thought processes and the way people treat one another. Got to be born again. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your your, your thought processes have to change. We We have hatred in our hearts. We put on false faces. We say kind words with little action because we have not been born from above. And you can take that across the board. Many of us do not have a biblical worldview. When you use that word worldview, it's how you view the world. People will say, I have a Christian worldview. Think about this. If your Christian worldview is shaped by Western theology, then your Christian worldview is not a biblical worldview. So when I taught that, I taught about the difference between a biblical worldview and a Christian worldview. So a lot of people do have a Christian worldview. They'll tell you, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I do good things. But they don't have a biblical worldview. Included in my good things 
is fighting injustice. Included in my good things is rejecting privilege and making sure that's equity among people, that all people are loved and seen as human beings and valued. So Jesus had a different perspective from the perspective of the world because he came from above. We can join in that perspective by being born of his spirit because his spirit comes to live in us and live out the life of God in us. Secondly, the spirit of God anointed him. When he stands up to read, he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. So the things that I have to do is not coming out of myself as a man. Okay, he could not he could not do what he did on his own in his own strength in the strength of a man. The mantle and the power of God was upon him to do the work that he was sent to do. And again, I said it earlier. We say in the, that the same anointing that's up, that was upon Jesus is the anointing that's upon us, and it is. We can't do this in our own strength in our own ability. We cannot we we cannot change our cultural heritage and the things that have shaped our psyche, our wills, our minds, our emotions in our own strength. The Bible says the heart is deceitful. It's wicked above all things. Who can know it? Only God. Only God can change it. Only God. Our cultural heritage is too ingrained in us. For our white brothers and sisters, their cultural heritage is too ingrained in them. They can't change on their own. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. This is why we say it's not just the laws. It's the heart that has to be changed. Do you think that the government has the power to preach the gospel of Jesus that is active and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts to the division of son of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow of the bone that's able to change men's hearts, men's wills, men's minds, and will, men's emotions? Is the government going to do it? No, that's not the government's responsibility. That is the ministry of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have to see. People are good with doing good works. They're good. Our white people who have money, they give money to wonderful causes. Yes, the Shriners Hospital does all of these wonderful things. With people with money, they can go and they can give and they can build houses in Africa. They can do wonderful things. But what about the gospel of Jesus that deals with the injustices that have been leveled against our people? What about the heart matters that still sees us as less than human beings, human beings that still see us as apes and monkeys and dogs and puppies? As long as we keep ourselves nice and stay in line, we're good little pets. Don't rock the boat. I'm not a dog. I'm not an ape. I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. It takes more than writing me a note saying, Bishop, I love you to make me know that you really love me. I want to see some action behind your words. And we have to demand that, brothers and sisters. Don't feel any way guilty for demanding that. It's time for us to call out injustice where we see it. And do it across the board. If you're doing wrong, I'm going to tell you you're doing wrong. How many times have I preached against sin in this church? 
Lastly, Jesus humbled himself. And this is a key part of the process. Because what the Lord asks us to do really, really requires us humbling ourselves. All right? Paul got this revelation. And he says this in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus did not consider equality with God, and I think this is the NIV translation of that, as something to be grasped for himself. Okay? But he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. He was equal with God, a place of power, a place of privilege. But he didn't see it as something to be grasped. How many people who have money feel like they have a right to have what they have? I worked hard for it. How many of us, my father couldn't give me land because he didn't have land to give me. When he died, he couldn't leave me an inheritance, a physical inheritance because he didn't have it to give me. I thank God that God put me, put me and my wife in a place where we can give our son a good start in life. But how many African Americans can do that? How many of us have been disadvantaged when we started going up the ladder, when we started making money and trying to save, and then something come and undercut us and slapped us back down? As someone pointed out, how many men can be like a Martha Stewart who commits a crime? a black person who commits a crime, goes to jail for it, comes back and starts up a business and everybody loves her. She doesn't miss a beat. How many of us, some of us here today are still struggling, trying to make it, trying to get back on our feet because of a system of injustice. But Jesus humbled himself. And all Jesus is saying to us is that we have to humble ourselves. Look at the scriptures. It is easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle, or easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Because a needle's eye is a gate into Jerusalem, very small and low. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Y'all listening? Are you making a connection? When a rich man comes into the church, don't show him preference. Don't show partiality. Don't tell the rich man, come up and take the high seat and tell the poor man, go and sit in the back. God hates the imbalanced scales. So Jesus is saying, in order for you to do ministry like I did it, you have to humble yourselves. We've been taught humility. We've been taught, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. We've been taught it. We brought up our children until lately. We brought up our children to always put a handle on a person's name. So a child doesn't walk up to me and call me Alfred. You either call me Mr. Alfred, Mr. Jackson, Bishop Jackson. Even in the church, white people don't understand why we use titles in the church. So we started mixing with them and then we started throwing away titles. We forgot the respect that we were taught. We didn't see it 
as in our community as a system of inequality, we saw it as a means of respect. So we threw it away. We threw it away. Jesus is saying to all of us, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. You know, in the prison system, and I used to be a volunteer at the prison, go to work with the center. Every officer, even though they may not have felt this way, every officer had to call, had to say, Mr. This. I was at a male work release center, so they were dealing with men, they were dealing with men, Mr. 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 Yes, sir. To the inmates. A false sense of trying to trying to show value to people that they really didn't value because of the way they treated them. And being an outsider looking in, I could see the way that they treated many of the prisoners. But Jesus is saying to all of us, humble yourselves. So don't take your privilege, your, your, your position as privilege, as something to be grasped for yourself and think that you're better than everybody else. Do what I did, Jesus is saying. Humble yourself. Become a servant. Become obedient, not necessarily to physical death, but to the death of your ways. If any man will come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Then follow me. Humility. Humbling yourself. Denying yourself for the sake of Christ. So for my brothers and my sisters and the poor part of the body of Christ. And I said this last Sunday. I don't see how people can see one part of the body hurting and don't stop and minister to the hurts and the pains of that part of the body. I don't see how the church can continue to go on and say that we're doing ministry and support an unjust system. I don't see how the church, I don't understand it. I don't see how a church can support anyone who will call for the troops of the United States to be brought into America to kill their own, our own citizens. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see how the church, ah, maybe I'm getting a little bit too political, but I don't see how the church can deliberately support a person who brings into his administration white supremacists, not because we think that they are, but because they've proven that they are. And the church give credence to them. They don't see it. Now when we humble ourselves and we be like Jesus. No, you want me to humble myself and close my mouth and don't preach about that. It's a sin. And it is a disgrace before God. God hates the imbalance scale. And when you take the privilege of your imbalance and you refuse to see your wrong and admit your wrong and work toward a change, then God hates the imbalance in your life and the imbalance that you practice and you will not inherit eternal life. Because Jesus stopped short in that passage of scripture to talking about the vengeance of the Lord. 
that will be leveled against those who don't accept him and his ways. So we got to come back to Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus. So we see who he is. We really grasp him. We really grasp Jesus. The fact that he's, he, he is way above our culture. We don't need to bring him into our culture and make, and make him like us. We need to become like him. Allow his spirit to anoint us, to live in us, to fix us so that we can love like him, live like him, serve like him, and lead like him. And in the process, humble ourselves. That's the most difficult part. But when we follow the pattern, it makes it easier. It makes it easier. So it makes me, it makes it love you. Look at you genuinely and say, I love you because the spirit of God has changed my heart. It makes it easier for me to be forgiving because the spirit of God has changed my heart. It makes it easy for me to rethink going and buying a gun and going to get my gun license. Because I can't fight fire with fire. It makes it easier. Because I want to do it Christ's way. Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. So today, we thank God for the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that when your word goes forth, it does not return to you void. It accomplishes what you desire. You prosper your word in the things that you sent your word to. Thank you for sending your word to us today. Thank you for every pastor. Thank you for every preacher. Thank you for every church leader. Thank you for everybody to speak in your voice today in this day and time that we're living in. We pray for change in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. We pray for change of hearts that will lead to change of policy, that will lead to change of inaction and cause us to be your body, to reflect you in this world, to have that life-changing power lived out through us so that we will be like the church, the early church, who turned the world upside down and even as we pray we echo the words of John as he ends the book of revelations even so come Lord Jesus even so come for listening to the message today. I pray that you've been inspired and helped by what the Lord gave us to share with you. These are critical times that we're living in. There are a lot of voices speaking to us and vying for our attention, but I want you to know that God wants your attention as well. God wants to be able to help you to bless your life and help you live a full and meaningful life. So give God your attention today. Now, if you've been blessed by this message, let us know. Visit our website at topraise.org. You'll find a place there to send a message to us. We would love to hear from you. 
Also, as the Lord leads, and you would like to sow a seed into this ministry, you can do that as well at topraise.org forward slash give. Help us as we spread the gospel to various parts of the world through our podcast and also through the work we do on the ground in Dominican Republic, Liberia, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Ghana, Kenya, Malawi, and South Africa. A seed into this ministry will bless people beyond our borders. God bless you.